Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general. Yep. And you can find or follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook are at From Skirts to Scrubs. And then our Twitter is at FSTS underscore podcast. You can also check out our website for more information on our episodes, show notes, sources, merch, and more. And that's at fromskirtstoscrubs.com. Yeah. And you can also subscribe to us and leave, you can leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is the best place for both of those. And you can also leave ratings on Spotify. Yeah. Okay. So this week, episode 40. Ooh. I'm ready. I'm excited for this one. I'm excited for all of them, but like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we ever mentioned it on the podcast that we want to do this episode, but we personally talk about it a lot. Talking about doulas, so the role just like overall of the doula is most often associated with childbirth. And actually, in like a fun fact is that I used to be a birth doula in college, which is why we're actually excited Mm -hmm. about this episode. I did it for three years as a volunteer for a couple of programs, and it was awesome. And I will talk about my experience a little bit later, probably, but before I do that. And before I get into our history, I'll ask you, Shar, what you know about doulas. What I know, you kind of mentioned what I know a little bit. There are people that help women give birth. And my understanding is like, it's kind of like having an extra support person that understands how birth works and like the types of breathing you should do and talking people through things, I guess. Because like you can have support people during birth, but your support person might not know the right things to do to get you through it in the most comfortable and supportive way. So that's kind of what the doula is there for. That's my, that's what I've always seen it as. Yeah, that's true. All of that is true. Um, And I'm just going to add to that. So that's great. Good. We (laughs) can just start there. Good. On a good start. So to start. I thought we could just brainstorm words that we associate with doula care. You know, like those those mosaics of words and you can put them in and then like the words that people think of a lot get bigger. That's what I was yeah. thinking we could just Some, like verbally a mind do. map thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll just say the word louder and louder as we keep saying it. <laughs> no, we don't have to do that. You could basically you could just tell me words you associate with doulas. I actually am not going to say anything. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. Okay, words I associate with doulas: birth, woman, support, caring, educated, helpful. Yeah, off the dome. That's what I got. <laughs> nice. Well, so all of these words I also think of when I think of doulas. I also think about like compassion. And another one I really feel strongly about is like advocate because mm-hmm. doulas are big advocates for their patients often or clients. <laughs> the word doula is actually a Greek word. And if we know anything about ancient Greeks, it's that oh, no. caring, <laughs> compassionate and advocate are not necessarily the words 
that they yeah. really use to describe anything. Yep. And so <laughs> doula actually translates to female slave of the childbearing woman. Stop. That's literally what it means. Yeah. Why do we still use that term? I don't know. But I thought that no was so that. funny. I know. I just thought that was so funny. I was like, what? Yeah, what? That's wild. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. But I know. I know. But obviously today, doulas are not slaves to pregnant people. These days, doulas assist people, mostly women, with births at home, in the hospital, or at a birth center. They provide pain management techniques, reassurance, and are advocates for their clients that are in labor. They are loosely described as being non-family members that help ease a family through adjustments and changes that a baby, a new baby, might bring um, to a home by emotionally and physically supporting that family. So that's a really broad definition because... There are lots of different kinds of doulas. There are more than just birth doulas. Even though we typically think about doulas as only for birth, there's postpartum doulas, there's other kinds. And so that is like a broad definition. So yeah, like I was saying, the most common ones are birth doulas, but there's postpartum doulas, grief doulas, and like those people do less of birth support, but they... We'll do more like helping in the postpartum period or helping moms that experience like pregnancy loss. So there are like grief mm-hmm. doulas. And gotcha. I'm pretty sure you could be a doula for like anyone at any time. Like you just need to be a non-medical person who understands that thing to help someone go through it. So theoretically, you could have a doula for like any kind of grief, but I think it's typically associated with childbirth. Right. Like the training is for that. Right. The other thing is that doulas and midwives are often confused for each other, but they're Mm. very different. So I don't know. Do they have midwives at your hospital, Charlotte? Yeah, they did. I worked with one actually in a clinic for, for like half a day. And I was asking her like, how autonomous are you kind of? And she was like, oh, I have like my own patients. I like see my own patients independently. Like I get to do my own births, like on L&D kind of thing. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I was really impressed at like how much she got to do too. So I got yeah, to no, I know several people who it. are like going to school for midwifery and they like, yeah, basically just like go to nursing school, but they don't do like the regular nursing track. They just like go straight to like L&D kind of vibes which is cool. There were, there are lots and lots of certified nurse midwives on um, the L and D floor at the hospital that I go to school at. And it's Mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, they're amazing. They like Mm -hmm. are essentially obstetricians. So those are people who deliver babies and care for pregnant people who are in labor, but they only take care of the low risk pregnancies. So that's like the big difference. And then, of course, like the training is different for like midwives versus obstetricians. But midwives are medical professionals, whereas doulas are not. So if there's Mm -hmm. a mom laboring, she would have to have a midwife and or an OB there to like catch the baby and like do all of that and make sure her delivery is going safely. But the doula is still there in addition to that medical person and the clients like own support system so you could have like your whole family there and a doula 
and the, the OB slash midwife. Yeah, the whole crew. I know there are some rooms that get real busy. I was like, yeah, this is busy. The other thing I was going to say is like, okay, what are some things that doulas do besides saying, okay, everything's going to be okay. Like we're going to get through this kind of vibes is Mm -hmm. they might suggest positions to help move labor along. So for example, like sometimes if the baby is head up, which is called like, we sometimes call it sunny side up where the baby is like coming out in the wrong direction. it's still possible to get baby out. It's just a little bit harder. And so sometimes what a doula might do is like in early labor when things aren't too, too intense, you know, contraction wise, um, Mm -hmm. they might suggest for mom to be on her hands and knees with her head a little bit like lower than her hips because that can help flip baby over. Oh, yeah. So that's like things that we learn is just like, oh, different positions that can help with certain things. They can also suggest comfort measures like massage and warm compresses and laboring in the shower or the tub or using a birthing ball or the peanut ball or all of these things. Peanut Um, ball? Yeah. Have you never seen a peanut ball? No. Is it the size of a peanut? No, it's huge. It's a giant peanut ball. Think about like those yoga balls, but think about it looking like a peanut. And then they put it, people put it in between their legs and it helps open up the pelvis. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when I was a doula, I had a lot of moms actually who had really bad back labor. So like as baby Mm -hmm. was coming down, they were in a not great position. So they were pushing up against mom's sacrum or the like the low part of her back. And it causes really painful, like low back contractions. And so something that you can do to help them if it feels good for them, it doesn't always feel good for everyone is if you provide like counter pressure by pushing against their back, um, that can sometimes help. And I remember I had a birth where I did that for eight hours. Oh my God. It was an overnight birth and I just got there and she already had a doula. She had her mom there, her husband there and a hired doula, but she'd been laboring for like two days. To, oh, God. So everyone was just exhausted. So then they called me in and then I just was there for like the night. Like I went from night into morning and we like made it through. But it was crazy. And yeah, I just did counter pressure the entire night. I was so tired. <laughs> Got those arms like workout in. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did. It was just me and her on two bouncy balls. And <laughs> I just did counter pressure all night. But yeah, it was crazy. Okay. So those are some things, some tangible things that doulas can do. It's, to be honest, it's not like rocket science necessarily, but there's definitely like an art to it. Like the more Mm -hmm. practiced you are, the more experience you have, you definitely can do more um, Mm -hmm. and be more helpful. Going into kind of the history of childbirth in America slash doula care slash midwifery, all of those things just overlap. And so mm-hmm. this history is a little bit hodgepodge, but it's the best that I could put together, to be honest. So midwifery. You can only do with what they give you. It's true. It's true. And I can't even acknowledge how much of the history is probably missing because like if they didn't tell the history, then I'll never find out about it. But yeah. midwifery has existed, as we know, for thousands and thousands of years. Experienced women and caregivers 
would be the ones to deliver babies in their communities. And of course, so much of this work was done by Black women. They're a huge, huge part of this history. These women would serve as healers and spiritual leaders in their communities. They had extensive social networks and like honestly had just a lot of clout. Like they were the ish. But even before then, like before, even before then, midwives were often enslaved women. So, you know, for a long time in America, it was the enslaved women who survived the Middle Passage who made it to America and were the basically like only if not limited source of birth care throughout the country because like no one else knew how to do it. It was either so like crazy. older women who were like, you know, English or British or whatever. And they just, they like knew some about birth or they were enslaved women. And as we know, it was the enslaved women who would not only deliver the black babies on plantations who were also enslaved, but they would go deliver their plantation owners, white babies too. So they were doing everyone's deliveries. But if you want to learn more about this, you should listen to episode 15 on enslaved healers. And you can learn more about these women and their roles. And it's a really wonderful episode. It's a great one for sure. Also written by Alicia. So after emancipation, these women, these enslaved women, often known as granny midwives, continued to work in I know, I know. I I don't know. I mean, they were just older women who like knew a lot of stuff about babies. Even after, you know, they were no longer enslaved, they would still work um, in often rural and remote parts of the country, especially in the South. Hospitals weren't that accessible and there weren't really that many doctors at that time either, as we know. Mm-hmm. From previous episodes, doctors were like basically useless yeah. before like the 1920s. <laughs> yeah, listen to our education yeah. episode for that one. <laughs> yeah. But midwives were basically the only option that a lot of pregnant women had. And they would pretty much always deliver at home. So during these home births, there was this culture of like, women having their female friends and their relatives come and attend this birth. And I feel like that totally checks out because that's the vision I have whenever I'm watching a show that's kind of based in the past and the woman's water breaks. And then all all you see is like, yeah, they're all there. And then someone eventually goes and like tells the dad who's like pacing in the hallway That either their baby lived, died, and, like, what gender the baby is. Also in the new Game of Thrones show, like, just, you know. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the Game of Thrones episode. And then she's out here giving birth. (laughs) (laughs) I know, the audacity. Seriously, though. He was supposed to be a good one. I know, I know. I have more to say about that, but we'll talk about it later. Oh. Um, I know. But, okay, back, focus. The period of time that, or the period of time after birth where a woman's female support system was present was called lying in. So this is like postpartum, baby's born, everyone lived. That's good news. That is good news. She'd be lying in. And basically that was the period of time where she was recovering 
And then she would also spend time with her new baby and get all this support from her like gal pals and like Aww. her mom, probably. I don't know, tender, right? I like, I like um, so this idea of togetherness, caring, and support of like female friends and family continued through the late 1800s into the 1900s. But in the second part of like the 1900s, things started changing because doctors became part of this field more. And it was particularly obstetricians. And you know what that means? A bunch of dudes (laughs) just came in and they, they just came in and they were honestly a problem and they would exclude midwives from their profession, kind of push them out. I know, I know. And childbirth kind of became this way to demonstrate advances in technology and medicine. Hmm. As it kind of became this new forefront of like, oh, there's all these procedures we can do and like medicine we can give and all of this stuff. And again, there's like truly nothing wrong with men, obviously. There's a lot of great male OBs, they're fantastic. But in this moment in time, the trend was mostly male doctors and this led to like certain, a certain direction of the field. And Mm -hmm. so the other thing was that hospitals started to become more popular and like privatized medicine increased. And so now home births and like births out of the hospital went from nearly like 100% to 44% by 1940. Yeah. So most people I know started delivering in hospitals. But the thing is that the deliveries weren't that safe. There were these doctors, honestly, a lot of them were not even OB. Some of them were like general medicine doctors. And they were just delivering these babies, not having enough obstetric training. They had like poor hygiene, like general hygiene was pretty bad. And then overall, they just didn't have any, they didn't have many safe delivery practices. So maternal mortality rates were very high. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it totally checks out. Yeah. And then some birth workers like midwives and stuff actually tried to adapt to this change of, you know, more hospital-based births. And they would take advantage of opportunities to care for their patients and enjoy a formalized training program. Mm -hmm. And this was what happened to Amanda Carrie Carter, who was a fourth generation midwife who delivered black and white babies in rural Virginia for like 30 years. She was a midwife from the 1950s to the 80s. Yeah. But she had to like register at a local registrar to be a midwife. She had to attend classes on safety and hygiene. She got letters of rec from doctors. And then she had to report all births and like adhere to specific safety rules and had to do those with the Department of Health. So she now had someone to like report to. Okay. And these things aren't bad things. Like yeah. these are good things that help standardize care. But also it's just kind of funny because it like these women were functioning very highly prior to this and now they have to go through all these loopholes. But mm-hmm. Amanda Carey Carter did not mind. So that's good for her. From 1939 to 1948, 
better regulations and medical advances like antibiotics and oxytocin and safe blood transfusions Mm. really helped bring down maternal mortality, which like, duh, yeah. (laughs) Duh, duh, (laughs) you dumbos. (laughs) It actually decreased maternal mortality by 71% in this time period. I know. That's a crazy statistic. I know. Who would have thought? Just some antibiotics. Just a little sprinkle of ampicillin could really do something for you. The salt bay. Salt bay, yeah. The problem was that moving towards birthing in a hospital really changed the perspective of childbirth that the general public had and kind of made it, it went from this natural thing to an illness. And that, ladies and gentlemen and others is called medicalization mm-hmm. um and oh boy did childbirth become medicalized so doctors began relying very heavily on intervention methods like c-sections inductions breaking women's bags of water the episiotomy which mm-hmm. like if you don't know what an episiotomy is That's when they make a small cut on the vagina to help make the hole bigger, which like you would think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like baby's head is too big for the opening. Let's make it bigger. And that way baby can come out and there'll be less tension. But normally what happens is when baby's head gets delivered, there's like micro tearing around the vagina. They call it the ring of fire. Mm -hmm. But if you make a cut, you put all of the tension in that one spot. So what ended up happening was that there would be increased there was increased rates of perineal tearing oh, because there was so much tension in that one spot and so women would literally tear from their vagina to their anus Yikes. because that was where the incision was made i know yeah now and those are really women tough just tear naturally <laughs> yeah they just get sutured up yeah. but in the 1920s forceps became a routine thing to use for uncomp for uncomplicated pregnancies forceps are basically these spoon-like things and they go around the baby's head while the baby's still in the birth canal and they just like pull out the baby literally yeah it's kind of crazy have you ever seen a forceps delivery no i don't think many obese at my hospital do forceps Mm. Only like one. I've seen one. It I was think- my first delivery on L and D. Was a forceps delivery, and I was like, "These things are crazy." Yeah, I think only one. I I only know for sure of one doctor who does forceps. But an- another attending was t- telling us that she their program didn't even teach forceps at all. She was like, "I can't even do forceps because my program refused oh, to teach it." So uh-huh. that was interesting. That is interesting. Well, yeah, they're basically these like salad tongs that go around the baby's head and help pull them out. Um, And those were established in the 1920s for uncomplicated pregnancies, which now they're not routinely used. Mm -hmm. By the 1940s, anesthesia was widely used. And by 1950, most women weren't even alert or conscious while giving birth. What? Which is a problem. Uh, Yeah, they really took it too far. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, wait a second. That's not how we do things. I know. Well, because enter the epidural in the 60s, which allowed women to be conscious but not be in pain, which is a sweet spot. 
And then by the 70s, continuous electronic fetal monitoring was created. And so that's how like we can monitor baby's heartbeat and contractions and all those like really helpful objective data points that we use in childbirth. All of that is just like examples of how childbirth has been medicalized. And as a result of it, the home birth movement, there was always like, you know, there's always someone who comes and fights back. And so the home birth movement arose in the the 1970s as well. And it created basically this alternative health belief system that stressed normalcy and Mm non-intervention. Um. It kind of like swung the other way. And this movement really stoked people's fears, honestly, about childbirth, particularly about high rates of Mm -hmm. C-section, which basically led to moms needing more emotional support in labor because they were like, we don't want to get C-sections. How do we avoid getting C-sections? It's like, oh, if you have a, you know, smoother labor, maybe you can deliver vaginally. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. enter doulas. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Space for them to fit in. I know. So actual birth doulas became popular in the 1980s, where women began to invite dedicated female friends, childbirth instructors, and obstetric nurses to join them in labor. So that's the thing is there are these like non-family people. Mm-hmm. Um Typically non-medical, but I guess like at that time they would invite obstetric nurses, but these people just like knew about birth. And so then they could come and be a resource. Right. In 1992, the nonprofit organization Doulas of North America, also called DONA, was started and it later Mm -hmm. like the name changed. Now it's called DONA International and it became the first organization to train and certify doulas. Nice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have like donut training, but it's like the first level. Anyway, I'll talk about all that later. (laughs) But today, doulas have been found to have a very positive impact on childbirth outcomes worldwide. But they are most prevalent in the United States. So a study from 2013 in the Journal of Perinatal Education found that doula-assisted mothers were four times less likely to have a low birth weight baby two times less likely to experience a birth complication involving themselves or their baby and significantly more likely to initiate breastfeeding. Hmm. Yeah, lots of really positive, great things. Yeah. However, professional doulas are often hired by individual mothers or families to be a part of their birth experience. And this can cost anywhere between $800 to like $2,500. Wow, for like Mm -hmm. the whole pregnancy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So, of course, this is, like, not a not steep price. It's pretty expensive. And only people of certain financial backgrounds can afford this. And I just wanted to touch briefly on, like, the training that it it requires to become a doula. Mostly because I was shocked at how, to be honest, easy it was. So... It's because there's multiple levels of training. So there's like a basic training um, Mm -hmm. that is typically two to four days. And then you can just practice as a doula. And I'm pretty sure with this basic level of training, you have like a pretty high. You can do a lot of things like you can 
have clients and like see people and like follow them in their births. You don't have to be unpaid. Yeah. You don't have to like just be, be a volunteer. volunteer. Right. right. But then there is advanced doulas who their training is more involved. There's like classes that are like longer and they have to take um, they have to attend a certain number of births and see a certain portion of those be unmedicated and they have to labor with a certain number of moms. So it's a lot more involved. And um, I think I knew I had met someone at one point who was like getting that training. And I remember her telling me it's pretty difficult these days, actually, to, for it was difficult for her to see an unmedicated birth because a hmm. lot of people get epidurals these days. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in addition to this certification, you can also get more certifications on top of that, like certifications in prenatal massage and postpartum care and breastfeeding and all Mm. those things. But I guess I wanted to kind of close out this part of the, you know, episode talking a little bit about my experience as a doula and just kind of trying to give it to you as purely as I remember it. Mm -hmm. That way, when we talk in Feminist Corner, comparing what I've seen and what Charlotte has seen on the obstetrics floor of labor and delivery, it can be a little bit more objective, but I just know when people give birth in hospitals, I guess what is hard to realize or recognize is that they're actually completely alone for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. They're alone unless the nurse is in the room with them and the nurses are available but they're covering multiple patients at a time. So they're not always around. Yeah. But they're definitely around more. But it's the doctors and midwives who are just in and out, like, honestly, pretty quickly. They're covering the whole floor and the postpartum people mm-hmm. and anyone needing emergency C-sections. So they're just all over the place doing a lot. So they come in just to, you know, check on you, see how you're doing. They'll do a cervical check to see how dilated you are. And then they'll offer like medical advice of like, okay, like, do we need to increase the, you know, how quickly this is progressing? Are we worried if it's not progressing? Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of that stuff. And yeah, I didn't realize that until I was a doula and I kind of saw it. And I definitely saw it as more of a negative. Like, I think in my mind, I was like, as the doula, you're there the whole time. And these people come in and out, like, how can they build rapport with these moms? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, was introduced to doula care from older people, like mentors that I knew who were doulas. But then also I, my first women's studies class I ever took was taught by a certified nurse midwife. Mm. And she, like through this class, I learned a lot of really wonderful things and it's interesting reflecting on them now. So Like I learned that epidurals are beneficial for some women, but also, um, you know, the way I was, I perceived it was that doctors pushed epidurals on people Mm -hmm. and Pitocin, which is like synthetic oxytocin, which is the hormone that your body makes when you're pregnant and you're like pushing the baby, you're like contracting your uterus. Mm -hmm. It's the oxytocin that does that. And Pitocin is synthetic oxytocin that we can give to kind of induce labor or augment labor. So we can make the contractions more intense and that can help move things along. Mm -hmm. And um, my understanding at a certain time was people would give Pitocin 
prematurely. It could be unnatural to give Pitocin. If your body doesn't want to have this baby, then why should you force it to? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was like an interesting perspective to have. I definitely thought that episiotomies were a huge problem, but that we can all agree on. That's bad practice. We don't do episiotomies. Yeah, they're not um, But on and I thought, anymore. yeah. But then I thought the same thing about C-sections. I was like, C-sections are bad. We shouldn't do C-sections, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think a lot of my opinions have like changed on some of these topics. Mm. I think it's it's been pretty interesting seeing things in black, like believing things in black and white and now seeing that there's more shades of gray. Right. Um, Particularly that C-section thing, because speaking of Game of Thrones, spoiler but if you saw the first episode of episodes of the new show yo the first episode of house of dragons i was like on labor and delivery when that episode came out and i just felt that so and i was like oh my god we could save this woman like i we delivered multiple breech babies we I was in the c-section in which the baby was head down and then as we reached in to grab the baby he turned breach. <laughs> we had to deliver him breach. And I'm just like, he was totally fine, you know? And it just like astounded me how far medical care has come and like how we could have saved that queen mm-hmm. if she was just born not now, not in a show. Not in a show based in the Middle Ages. Yep. <laughs> yep. But... But being a doula was a huge part of my early 20s. I think it really kickstarted my love for OB-GYN. Yeah. And I, it's funny because having, you know, the experiences I had, I came into med school very interested in women's health, but thinking that I wanted to keep an open mind. I didn't want to be an OB-GYN for a long time because I was like, I don't agree with a lot of this field. I think. There's a lot of problems and I can't fix them. The problems are so deep rooted. Mm -hmm. But I think what I've realized is that one, if you love the patients and you love the work, but then also there is work that you want to be a part of the change, then that is the right field for you, which is basically what I've decided. Yeah. Um, And so I wanted to end with a quote, which is really quite the contrast from how the Greeks defined the word doula because Mm -hmm. The word has come to mean something else. They say a doula is one who mothers the mother. And I thought that was really beautiful. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Aww. Way better than the Greek term. I agree. I, yeah, way, way better. <laughs> I thought we could start our discussion. Let yes. me know your thoughts. <laughs> Tell me all the things. <laughs> What what are your thoughts? How are you feeling? What's the vibe? Vibe is good. Feeling good. <laughs> good um, <laughs> thoughts. Okay, one one thought. First thought. So with the idea of like doulas, or I guess to go back to the medicalization of birth, like when obstetrics went from midwifery and doulas to obstetricians, or mainly male. 
it's so interesting to see the medicalization of birth and the things that women today disagree with about it because like you said like it's rooted in when men took over the field of obstetrics because a lot of the things that would be women disagree with because they're uncomfortable or whatever doesn't feel natural is because they were decided upon because of men going into the field who didn't really know much about the field or how birth worked because they didn't even watch their wives give birth like we talked about like a lot of times it's just the women in the room and men weren't allowed to go in the room or chose not to go in the room um during birth so that's interesting to think about like um things like that and how different do you think like obstetrics would be today if midwives and doulas had like headed the field like imagine if midwives decided to like go into medicine and they headed the obstetrics field like how different do you think it would be today is what I'm wondering I'm not like actually asking you but just like rhetorically like what would be different about the field like how medicalized would it be like it's one thought I have that we would never have the answer to but was thinking about it and then also my other thoughts also along the lines of like doula and medicalization is your experience of like being a doula, seeing births, like a lot of births over multiple years. I remember you being on a call for doula, then being like, well, she's giving birth. I got to go. Like, I got to stop studying and like go to the hospital, like see you tomorrow and being there all night. And then so obviously you would see the conversations that like doctors would have with women and you'd see what they would do and blah, blah, blah. And you express your opinions at that time of like thoughts on C-sections and doctors coming in and out. And then you mentioned, I'm sure you'll talk about how your views have changed now as you've like gone through medical school and been on L&D on this side. And it makes me wonder if there just needs to be better communication between the parties of L&D. You know, like should like doulas and midwives work more closely with the obstetricians on these floors and like have more like closed communication about like everyone's views of the birthing process and what and like how to make them mesh I guess you know yeah yeah I agree I think what's interesting is that now that I'm on the other side of it I do get to see those conversations Mm -hmm. but on the front on the doula side of it when I was you know a a baby basically being Mm -hmm. in this room and like only being with a patient I was just like oh this is all like every like they don't care and I'm the only one who cares and obviously that's not true obviously yeah um and so that was very interesting to see but I think yeah I I've had a lot of time to grapple with kind of my thoughts and and how I feel and I think honestly it just before I share I was thinking I would ask my next question which is Mm -hmm tied into this pretty well because I was wondering how we can reconcile like the medicalization of birth with the role of doulas and how to balance that all with like the health of the mother which is like the main priority yeah wait so do you mean like how can doulas be a part of the medicalization of birth more like how do we balance the birth being medicalized and then, like, how doulas theoretically, like, see birth. Okay. Okay. That was just a like, how, how do we balance? 
Yeah, I know. Sorry. That's okay. But it's like there is so there's like a balance, of course, between like being too medical, but like also being completely natural and like how do we balance that? Yeah. I think it's all about just like communication and education, like education for the patient in terms of all of her options when it um comes to birth, whether like what the very, very medical options are and what the very, very natural options are and everything in between. And like how when you're on L and D, like whether you have a doula or an obstetrician in the room, those people are supposed to be there to fully give their attention to you and support you through birth and not like press ideas on you. So just providing with like you with the information you need to decide like what parts of doula care you want, but what also like what parts of um, medicine that you want to, to incorporate them both into birth. So I guess I can, that's how I see this working with like doulas working in, and um, practicing, you know, being a doula and viewing birth as it's taught, but also having women experience the medicalization of birth. I think it's a lot about communication, what the woman wants and how you can incorporate both roles into that woman's birthing experience. I think, I think this question is, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like ultimately it just comes down to the woman and what she wants and like giving her her options and doing it in this non-judgmental, clear way. Yeah. I think things can get dicey if, you know, her condition worsens and she's like dead set on one plan, but like that plan is no longer safe. And I think I found this quote that I really think just like, clearly explains how I have been feeling mm-hmm. being on L&D. So this quote is talking about the shift to more medicalized birth. And it says, while the shift was of enormous benefit to high-risk mothers and babies, it subjected low-risk mothers to a battery of interventions that are often counterproductive to healthy labor and delivery. Yeah. And I, I was totally like, agree. yes. <laughs> I was like, that is the problem. Yeah, I know. I was like, what a good quote. Because I had been telling people all of being on L&D, like telling my friends and stuff that I was, you know, having all this time to reconcile being a doula. I mean, one, I just want to clarify that I was not an advanced practice doula. Like I was a volunteer doula. I had honestly limited experience as a doula. And so I never want to claim like more space in a field than I have. Mm -hmm. But in the experience that I had and comparing that to now what I've experienced as a medical student being on labor and delivery, I would say, I was saying that like 80% of what we do is just like normal, regular deliveries, like natural births, like all fine, vaginal, all good. And then like 20% is when like hits the fan. Yeah. And you just like need an OB there. Um, And there were some misconceptions that I had too. Like honestly, a lot of them. Like mm-hmm. one thing that I was told or believed was that OBs only know how to deliver babies in lithotomy position, which is where the babies are. The mom is on her back and Mm -hmm. then baby like and then her legs are up and baby comes out of the birth canal. But that's like literally false Mm -hmm. (laughs) because on L&D, I labored with moms in so many different positions and delivered moms in so many different positions like. 
and they knew like how to take care of her. Yeah. And so I don't know where I got this idea. I think it was because one of my, so my first couple births as a doula were midwife births where like the bed was totally intact and the midwife was like sitting in the bed and like Mm. we grabbed the baby and like, it was very like wholesome. And then the first resident birth I had seen, we took apart the bed and put her legs in footrest. Oh my God, the gowns. I was freaked out by the gowns. And then last week on L&D, I went to go deliver the placenta. I was not wearing a gown, nothing. I had my sterile gloves on. The placenta was like stuck or not stuck, but it was just like harder to get off because she mm-hmm. this is her first baby. So I just like was struggling to get the placenta off. And then I ripped the cord and blood got all over me. And I was like, that's why they wear the gown. That's why I understand. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I just like had this totally like a total shift in mindset. I was like, oh, I totally get it. Like, yeah. This makes sense. And this woman didn't have a bad birth experience. It was one of the most enjoyable births I have ever attended. It was so pleasant. It was it was so fun. We were joking, laughing the entire time. She had an epidural. She didn't feel anything. It was her first baby, but she pushed for 40 minutes. It was awesome. Like she was such a boss. She had her makeup. She looked great. She felt like herself. And I was just like so in awe of her, you know? Yeah. And and it, yeah, and that was just her birth experience and it was what she wanted it to be. And, and that's hmm. the most important thing, right? Yeah. Thanks for reminds me of like, I saw one birth when I was on L&D and she didn't have an epidural and the labor was not going well. And it was interesting to see like the resident, like we were like standing there, you know, like gowns on, gloves ready to go. And it was interesting to see the, the residents like work with her, like to help her through the pain, like helping through this hard labor. And she like went on her hands and knees at one point and they were like, that's totally fine. It's more comfortable. Like do that. She like was standing on the bed at one point. So we like lowered it as low as it could go and like stood around her to like mitigate any fall risk because she was just like trying to get the most comfortable. And I don't know, it was like cool to see like everyone change what they had planned to do. Like as this woman was trying to find like the most comfortable position to be in, she eventually did have to get a C-section because the like the labor just did not progress. Yeah, see, I was actually on LD like the last two weeks. It wasn't like that. We only we only put her in footrest and took apart the bed if she had a laceration. Oh, interesting. And I was like, this is awesome. This makes me feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I felt significantly better. Good. And then yeah, one time I had a mom deliver in the tub, but that was not okay. Like that was not on purpose. It was just like baby was coming Mm. and so the birth happened in the bathtub but it's not supposed to usually anyway that was crazy too like have told me that they have toilet babies a lot at the hospital like the woman like feels like she has to like go to the bathroom which when you're giving birth you feel like you have to poop um so women will go to the bathroom and not notify the nurse and then they always give birth in the toilet (laughs) and we were like i believe that they were like yeah it happens all the time um, I totally believe it. I didn't see anything crazy. crazy like birth wise, but I heard crazy stories in residents that were interesting. But I saw a lot yeah. of C sections on L and D, like mm. a lot, like every single night I saw a C section, and I did not see that many. I know people who didn't see a single vaginal birth on all two weeks. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it's the population I work with and the like high risk level. I have that a, a feeling it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which definitely might be a factor because. Not many of the patients I saw were low risk, 
But um, it was interesting because I was like, are there not many vaginal births? Like vaginal births make up over half of like births. Like if you look at the statistics, but that was just my experience. So I saw a lot of the medicalization of, of birth for sure when I was on L&D because it was all C-sections. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say about the medicalization of birth is something I've realized on this end of things is that there are like pretty clear cutoffs for like how long certain aspects of labor should be. So like mm-hmm. early labor can be like honestly a really long time. So long. But once you get into laboring active, for days, like when people are like, I labor right, for days. Right. First stage of labor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess what I didn't realize until being on this end is like actively, like there needs to be a certain amount of progress before we start to get worried that baby's not doing okay. Yeah. And that's the reason why we augment and like, do interventions to increase progression. Mm -hmm. And so having a better understanding of that also was like very reassuring to me because I was like, no, like there is reason for this and it is in the best interest of the patient and baby. And so I felt, yeah, a lot better. And C-sections like honestly last resort too. That was like the hardest part of studying for ob guy. And actually for me is they'd always be like, what to do next? And I'd be like, C-section. They'd be like, no, you're supposed to do this, this and this first because you're like c-section is the last resort of what you want to do and that was think about that doctors aren't just trying to push you to c-section they're really trying to not get you there or they should be if they're a good doctor they should be they should be yeah yeah but my last question is kind of sure i don't know if we even have an answer to it but obviously it'd be amazing if like every laboring person who wanted a doula could have one Mm -hmm. obviously as we discussed private doulas are very expensive mm-hmm. and volunteer doulas can vary in quality and you might not even have access to one. So kind of that being said, how do you think doula work could be made more accessible to pregnant people? Honestly, I think it's about just making the field more well-known. Like I had no idea what a doula was until like I met you, Alicia. Like I had never heard of a doula and I'm sure a lot of people don't really know what doulas are. It's I just don't even know like where people hear about it, honestly. I feel like if the field mm-hmm. was more recognized and there was more opportunities for training and more like centers, you know, of it, that would yeah, in itself increase the um like working force of the doula field, whether it's paid or volunteer, and then give more opportunities for people to volunteer because like pre-med students honestly it's an amazing experience for them to do and if people knew about it more often I honestly feel like a lot of people would do it and um but it's just not like top of the totem pole in a lot of situations for people to learn about I've literally never seen a doula at the hospital I work at and it's a very low-income hospital it's a very like grunt work dumpster fire hospital it's doing its best and doulas are like mm-hmm. not a priority in the hospital. And that would be amazing if yeah. they were because, you know, it would be extremely beneficial to the women on L&D. So I think it's just a lot about awareness of the profession and the like research that's been done about it of like how beneficial it is for women. Because things that you mentioned, like having better birth outcomes and breastfeeding and low birth weight, like birth weight's a huge thing in birth of like how healthy the baby's going to be and things like that. So those are amazing statistics that I'm sure not many people know. And um, that could really help like get doulas out there and into other hospitals and into the field more. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing in terms of like 
having them be honestly more like nurses or midwives, not midwives, Mm -hmm. but like having them have a little bit more accreditation. I also think that might require the training to be a little less lenient, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, yeah, you like get out of something what you put in and I mean, in my ideal world, like having a doula would be covered by insurance, which is not going to happen, but like that would be amazing. Or they get paid like hourly or get paid like a salary, like in a year, it becomes like a full-time job rather than having doulas need to be private and then Mm -hmm. finding their own clients. I think that would also really help things, but those are just like kind of wishful thinking. I mean, I think they could be possible one day. There's just like a lot of baby steps that need to happen before we get to that point. Yeah. But and it is rough because I was just going to comment on what you said about like the hospital you work at is very low income. Like truly the women who could benefit from it the most are the people who can't afford it, which is like, oh, yeah, so typical. Sure. Yeah. And I was also going to say, like, there are places where like doula care is incorporated into, you know, the pregnancy process. Like you can make a private practice that's like obstetricians working with doulas and it's part of the practice that like you run True. and you work in. Um, I think that's like one of the parts about OB-GYN that I like is it's a very flexible field and you can make your practice however you want it. And if you are someone who wants to involve doulas and midwives in your like practice, in your patients, then you 100% can, which is great. But um, not everyone does. And I think that's like a small sect of the OB practices and often in like higher income areas, you probably see that. Um, so like you said, just making it more accessible and trying to like expand the knowledge of that, I guess. So true. But yeah, yeah, if you want to hear more about doulas and midwives and birth, we love talking about this stuff (laughs) and you should subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review and Apple podcast is a good place for that. Yeah. You can also follow us on social media. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Check out our bio for information. You can also check out our website for more information, show notes, sources, merch, et cetera, which is afromskirtsscrubs.com. And lastly, here's to the women who have fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yeah. See you next time. Bye.